What's going on, crazy kids? Welcome to another episode of Rookie Mistakes. Today is New Year's Eve, and I am two days away from going back to Los Angeles. Can't believe this journey of mine is coming to an end. Crazy to think 10 months ago. I believe I left February 22nd, so a little over 10 months ago. Decided to travel around the world, and it has been quite the experience. I was just going over all the countries I've been to and the cities, and so the final tally, it's going to be 11 countries and 20 cities. 12 countries, I guess you could say, if you count going back to uh, California for two weeks between Europe and Asia. I'm definitely going to do a lot of episodes, I think, on the overall journey because I think there's a lot to dissect from it. I know I'm definitely going to do an episode on why I wanted to travel and then there'll be one on why you should travel if you're thinking about doing it. I totally think this was the right decision for me. Part of the thing that's scary about doing something like this, especially if you're going to be quitting your job to do it, is there's that unknown of what's going to happen after you're done traveling because I think a fear for a lot of people might be that it doesn't look the best, right? When you take a gap in your career and does that make it harder to get a job then when you come back or how are you going to be able to transition back into your routines and getting back into the swing of just, you know, the the daily grind of working and all the things that come along with that. So I'll definitely do an episode on that. One thing that I thought would be fun is to go over the cities I actually went to and give you my initial gut reaction, maybe a few words about what I thought of it. So I've put every city I've been to, the countries I've been to really fast. I went England, Scotland, so that's the UK, and then Czech Republic, Italy, Hungary, Romania, Poland, France, South Korea, Thailand, and then Japan to end it all. I will say that I definitely... I'm going to travel more in the future. There are still a lot of places I want to go. There were a lot of places I didn't get the chance to go. And I think a helpful piece of advice for anyone that's traveling is you want to ride the wave. I think I have mentioned this before as well, but you want to kind of just ride the wave of your travels. Things don't always go the way you want them to go and you're not always going to be able to do the things you want to do so to just go with the flow and really be in the present moment and enjoy the things you are getting to experience even if those things aren't what you originally had intended because there's been so many things that just didn't either work out right or things were too expensive and I couldn't end up doing it I think that was one thing I was pretty good at it was I was always able to just adjust on the fly and I didn't think it was the end of the world if I wasn't able to do something. So as far as the cities go, Barry St. Edmunds is where I started and this is a place outside of London. I want to say it's an hour and a half or so by train outside London and I was lucky because one of my best friends from college, he has family friends that are actually from England. And so this is where they lived and they were nice enough to let me stay with them for a week to just adjust to being outside my comfort zone and then being in a new country. I think it was helpful because I was able to be in a country that spoke English, right? So I didn't get an gigantic culture shock. I can't even imagine studying in Asia if that was the first place I went because 
even just with it being at the end of my trips and the struggles I had, if I had to add on top of that, the fact that this was like the first time I was traveling, oh, that would have been terrible. So I think that was a good call on my part. And then yes, having people to kind of ease my way into and help me out. They're also very well traveled. So they're able to give me a lot of tips on things and then tell me about certain countries that they've been to. So that was very awesome. And what I would say about Barry St. Edmonds, the word that comes to mind was peaceful. I really felt like that was a place where you could just retire and really enjoy life. It was very different than what I'm used to because I grew up in a city. So it was something that definitely appealed to me. I could see the appeal to living in the countryside rather than in a city. It was really, really beautiful as well. One of the more beautiful places places I've been, especially for a small town. They took me out into the countryside and we went driving and it's just so beautiful. There's these green rolling hills and all the flowers you see everywhere. And like the air is so so good it's so fresh and then it was winter still when i was traveling a little bit like the ends of winter and to get that i guess you could say it was the winter we're kind of in the heart of winter still because it was snowing actually some of the days i couldn't even go outside because it was snowing but that was a great way i think to start off my trip i actually got to see where ed sheeran is from which was cool and then also conveniently i'm a huge harry potter fan and there is a other small town near Barry St. Edmunds. I don't remember specifically what it's called, but it's really close to there. And that's actually where they filmed Harry Potter. They filmed the, if you remember, when he's visiting his childhood home in the, it's either in the seventh or eighth movie. And then also, if you remember, like in the beginning when they show Voldemort killing his parents, spoiler alert, if anyone's never, that'd be hilarious if no one's seen Harry Potter. But <laughs> when Voldemort kills his parents, and that house, so that actual house they filmed, that is in this town. So I got to see that, which was pretty cool. Huge surprise, wasn't expecting anything like that. And then also Kit Harington, for anyone that watches Game of Thrones, Jon Snow, he's also from that city. I don't know if it's Barry St. Edmund specifically or that one of those small towns near it, but they, the people I was staying with, they've seen him before in like the supermarket. So I thought that was kind of cool because I always like hearing about celebrities that I'm interested in seeing them in places that you wouldn't expect to see them. After burying St. Edmunds, I went to Cambridge for a day. And what I would say about Cambridge is just college town. That's all I thought of. It's an absolutely amazing city for a college student. I was kind of jealous as I was touring around the college campus or the university campus, I guess you could say, right? It's a university, Cambridge University. It's so amazing. The architecture is amazing. There's so many great restaurants and there's a lot of great shopping. They have flea markets and then you have the cobblestone sidewalks and it's got a very intimate feel. It just seems like a great place to go to to university, we'll say. We'll say it like the Europeans. After Cambridge was London. One word for London, all I got is overwhelming. That's the initial reaction I get. It reminded me a lot of New York where it's just go, go, go. Everyone walks extremely fast and it's so crowded and I just felt, especially for it being the first major city that I was visiting, I felt a little bit overwhelmed and that can be expected obviously when you're beginning your travels and you're doing something new. Edinburgh, which is Scotland, beautiful. That might be the most beautiful city still to this day that I've ever been to. Everything. 
the views, the mountainsides, the city itself, cobblestone roads, beautiful architecture, the air is so clean. It's just an absolutely amazing place. Climbing Arthur's Seat and then overlooking all of Edinburgh, seeing the sunset there. The food is surprisingly amazing. They have a great international food scene. You can just walk everywhere. You don't need to drive. The people are so nice and friendly. Love the accents. It's just a beautiful place. Definitely go to Edinburgh at some point in your life. I almost think it's a place I'd recommend more than London, obviously because of London's history and just the things that you can see there, the museums, the different sites. You can't beat that, but everything else I'd say, I'd give Edinburgh the the tip of the cap. Prague, overrated. Wasn't a huge fan of Prague. Everyone seems to love Prague, 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 Prague. But you know what? I wasn't that hyped about Prague, Rome, one of a kind. I think now that I've done this whole journey, if you can only go to one place in your entire life, go to Rome. Food's amazing. People are amazing. The architecture is one of a kind. The history. There's not many places in the world where you can get such a large timeline of history. Think of the United States, for example. What does our history go back really? It goes back to the 1700s, right? So that's like 250 plus years, right? And then think of a place like Rome, where you're literally like ancient Rome to all the way to today. They still have all all of those things preserved. Once you go to Rome, other places just aren't going to be the same because (laughs) nothing is really going to compare to Rome. The only other place I think that might compare to Rome in terms of history would be Egypt, maybe a lot of the Middle East, maybe China, but like most of the places I've been after Rome, it's just, they're cool and everything, and you can see some great stuff, but nothing will ever beat what you can see in Rome. The Vatican, the Pantheon, the Colosseum, these things are all just things that you'll never forget, and those, I think, are definitely my top things that I have seen. I said it before, and I'll say it again, the Pantheon is single-handedly the most awe-inspiring structure I've ever seen the fact that they were able to make something like that all the way back then and then when you're actually standing in it and just walking around and you see the vastness of it and then you have like the dome in the center like the open dome and it was raining the day I went and so rain's falling through and you can see the raindrops because the light's shining down into through this dome I literally felt weak in the knees which is a weird expression to say (laughs) but it's true I felt weak in the knees I felt like I was going to collapse I don't know why but it really hits you I think when you go to the pantheon it just hits you what what you're standing in essentially like the fact that that's still there and that well preserved and I think something you always strive to do when you're traveling is put yourself in the shoes of maybe someone that lived there in the past try and picture that place right at a different time in history. And you can only do that to a certain degree. It's really hard to actually get a feel for that. And I think being in the Pantheon, it's really easy to get that feel. So that's why I loved it so much. Florence, paninis, paninis, paninis. I did the travel guide a few weeks ago on Florence. I mentioned this place. The paninis are amazing. Go listen to that travel guide if you haven't yet. Florence is another place. My heart is with Florence, I think forever. Florence was a place that I really wanted to visit and it lived up to the expectations for me. I think Florence is 
a lot better than Rome in a lot of ways, at least for me personally. Rome will always have the history over Florence because Florence history doesn't, or Florentine, Florentine, is that how you would say it? Florentine history doesn't go that far back as it does in Rome. Florence, I'd say, is like the training wheels to Rome, right? So like Florence, you go to Florence on your little bike with the training wheels and you get that done and you do it and then you feel more confident and you go to Rome and you're riding the motorbike around, right? And you're more confident and you kind of understand things. And after Florence, we have Venice and Venice. I wasn't very hyped about Venice. Obviously, the greatest thing about Venice is the fact that it's a water city, city on the water. Seeing the canals and all that is pretty cool. Other than that, it's kind of awful to be honest. And as you could have seen a few weeks ago, I don't know if it's still the case, but there is terrible floods. And I just can't imagine living there, honestly. I don't know how people do it, especially with the, you always have the uh, fear of the weather of some natural disaster that's always looming. That's always over your head because you don't know what's going to happen. And Venice wasn't that great to me, honestly. Everyone that I met in Venice didn't like Venice as well. I don't know if that was just all because we had these hateful vibes and we were all just rubbing off on each other or something. But literally everyone I talked to in my hostel didn't like Venice. There's too many people. It's small. It's way too overcrowded with tourists. It's really not that nice as far as the buildings go. There's not that much to see. And it's just a poorly planned place. Clearly, there's not much you can do at this point, right? Because it is it is what it is. And that you just kind of have to build around it, I guess. I don't know. That's what I would say about Venice. Poor planning. Budapest, hidden gem of Europe. Definitely need to visit Budapest. Go to Budapest over Prague. It's much better. Cluj-Napoca. This is now Romania. Romania was surprisingly very beautiful as well. I think Romania for me was the place I knew the least about. Literally the only thing I knew about Romania was Dracula. That's it, which is terrible. But that's all I knew about Romania was Dracula. And I did actually end up going to Brand Castle, which is the home of Dracula, the actual historical figure not the one that we most commonly see with the blood-sucking teeth and the vampires and the bats, but the actual Valad the Impaler. What I will say about Romania, I went to four cities. I went to Cluj-Napoca, Timisoara, Brasov, and Bucharest. I think I had the most fun in Romania in terms of the people I met. I met some of the most awesome people in Romania. I hung out with people the most in Romania. We went out a ton. We went on day trips together with these people I met in these hostels, and I have very fond memories of Romania. Cluj-Napoca was a big one where I met a lot of people and hung out with them. Pretty unique experience in Cluj-Napoca. Close by, you take a little bus a couple hours away, and you get to go into this salt mine. And in this salt mine, very unique. It's gigantic, and you get to tour it, walk around. At the very bottom level of this salt mine, it's like an amusement park. They have a they have a Ferris wheel, okay? An actual Ferris wheel in the salt mine that you can go on. They have mini bowling. They have pool tables everywhere. They have ping pong tables everywhere. There is a small lake as well in the salt mine, which is crazy. And on that lake, you can actually go in boats and you can paddle around for, I think, 20 minutes. And then you go out. Really, really cool experience. I enjoyed that one. Timmy Shora, that's where I had the most fun. Probably one of my favorite hostels in terms of the people I met. It was a very 
unique experience because most hostels you go to, they're going to be pretty big and have a lot of people, right? But this hostel was extremely small. I want to say there were only four people, including myself, actually staying in it. And then you had the people working there. So it was a very intimate feel. We went out so much. That was that was a that was kind of a bad time for me a little bit because I think what was it like one night we came back at three and one night we came back at six and then the next night we went out and we came back at like four so it was a lot of consecutive nights staying out really late but the people I met there oh man it was so amazing we got to go out with the people running the hostel too because they didn't really have to work as much because there were so few people I will very much cherish my Tim and Timmy Shora other than that there's not much to see there in Timmy Shora but the people you meet that's one of the big highlights, I think, the friendships you make when you're traveling. And I still talk to a lot of the people here and there that I've met. Brasov, still Romania, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous city. Once again, feels like a fairy tale. You have the cobblestone streets. You have these amazing buildings. Not much to see, once again, in Brasov. Brasov is the one you go to. That's the city you're going to be in, and then you'll go to Brancastle. You'll take a train there, but that's where your central location will be. So if you do want to go to Brand Castle, if you're ever going to go to Romania, Brasov is where you want to stay. Brasov is also the most beautiful out of all the places I was in Romania. I think if I had to recommend one place, it would be Brasov. Food was very good as well. One of the restaurants I went to, I think I went there three times because it was just so delicious that I had to keep going back. Might be one of my favorite restaurants. Definitely a top, definitely a top 10 in my travels of places I've been. And what I liked about it was they had so many different cuisines that you could eat. They had burritos, which I loved. They had burgers. They had Asian fusion type dishes. It was just a really interesting place, especially because it was in Brasov. You wouldn't necessarily expect to find a place like that, I think, in Romania. I know most of the restaurants I went to, you didn't really see that. There is surprisingly a lot of Italian and French influence in Romania, so you get a lot of Italian and French restaurants. So that was good. Cluj-Napoca, that's another one. Really good food. And honestly, Timmy Shore too, not amazing food, but decent food. I'll say overall the food in Romania, a lot better than I thought. Ending out the trip in Romania, I went to Bucharest. I only went to Bucharest for two days because I just had to be there to take a flight from there to Poland. So I didn't get to do much there. Honestly, the thing that comes to mind in Bucharest, like I just thought Soviet Russia, all the buildings are gray. It's very run down. The air of the city, like the feel you get inside of it, it does feel a little bit off. So that was something interesting, I think, to experience, but I didn't actually do anything. I just wanted to get out of there basically as quickly as I could, which isn't the best attitude, but you know what? I got so much of Romania that Bucharest wasn't very high up on my list. And to be honest, if you're going to Romania, like don't go to Bucharest necessarily. Anyone will tell you Bucharest is the worst part of Romania, even though it's the capital and it's such a big city. That's by far the worst of of Romania. If you're going to go to Romania, you want to go to the places I went, like Cluj-Napoca, Timisoara, Brasov, and then there's another place, which is a nice cultural historical type city very small town too and it's something i don't remember specifically what it's called but it's something with shora too i think it's shimishora something like that like shimishora yeah i think that's it so bucharest though there's a lot of corruption there obviously there's a lot of crime that happens there is something interesting little fun fact there is a underground city in bucharest and they have i don't even 
I don't even know how to explain it. It's like literally underground, right? And it's this whole network of places and it's where all these people live and there's a lot of crime that goes on down there. There's a lot of cities in the world that have places like this. For example, I think Vegas has a place underground, like this underground city. There's actually a vice piece, I believe, on the Vegas one specifically. And there's like tons, imagine there's tons of rats down there and there's people living down there and like women are, you know, sexually assaulted and abused. Like nothing happens though because there's no, police force or any type of like laws really like it's literally like the wild west but underground because no one goes down there but people live down there it's really creepy thinking about that but there's a huge huge underground scene like just like what i'm describing in vegas like there's the exact same thing in bucharest warsaw a little bit of everything in warsaw another surprise city wasn't expecting it to be so amazing the city itself is gorgeous what i liked about warsaw was you had one part of the city which was very modern felt very 21st century there's actually a ton of businesses a lot of really big businesses that have offices in warsaw and then on the other hand you have the whole once again i keep going back to fairy tale that's always what i think of you have like the cobblestone streets and the sidewalks and the buildings look very fairy tale like then you have the palace in warsaw so that's definitely a place to check out. The food's really good there as well. The people are nice. There's tons of hostels, a lot to see. Krakow, other place in Poland. Two things that come to mind, partying and burgers. The amount of burger places they have in Krakow is unbelievable. Most burger joints per capita probably <laughs> in any place I've been. It's crazy how many burger places there were but they're also really good and i do love a good burger so that was nice but yes krakow is a place you go to party krakow reminded me a lot of florence in the way the city was laid out another great place surprising though how much emphasis there was on partying i knew that going in but when you're actually there and you just see what everyone is doing and then all these hostels they cater to partying right so that was a mistake on my part was staying in a party hostel. I stayed in two hostels there, but for half the trip, I stayed in a party hostel and that was not a good call on my part. I got zero sleep, none at all. Did go out one of the times, have a nice little story from that experience. Another place you do want to visit, I think. It is a cool place. There's cool stuff to see. The food's really good. A lot of good food options and it's a young city, obviously, because of the partying, right? So you get the young vibe. There's a lot of tourists, but not so many to where it's overwhelming. And then also, if you do want to go visit Auschwitz, Krakow is going to be your center location or your base for getting there. So that is a city you will have to go to if you want to go to Auschwitz, which I did go to. Paris. Oh, Paris. Paris was the only place I went with a actual person. I went there with my youngest brother. That was an experience for me because I had to take care of someone else. One of the benefits of traveling alone is that you only have to worry about yourself, right? So if you're in a bad mood, you don't have to worry about being all chipper. And, and then with someone else, you have to worry about getting extra tickets. And then if you're at a restaurant, then there's two people, right? So maybe if you're, there's one, you can get into the restaurant and eat. But if there's two, maybe there's not room and you have to compromise on does this person want to actually do this? And if not, then what are we going to do? Are we going to go our separate ways? Or then you have to deal with the other person's attitude and are they bringing you down or are they in a bad mood? All these different things, right? The, where, where you're going to stay, do they have rooms for two people or all these different things, right? If you're, if you're staying in hostels, that's a big one. But if you're staying in a hotel, that one doesn't matter. But Paris was amazing. People tend to say they don't like Paris 
and that is an American attitude, definitely. But I loved Paris. The culture in Paris, that is what you need to go to Paris for because hands down, Paris has the best museums, I think. Definitely out of any place I've been to, maybe even in the world. I don't know. I haven't been everywhere yet, right? So can't definitively say that. But the museums by far were the best of any place I visited these past 10 months. Loved it. I would love to go to Paris again and go through all of them again. There's just so much to see in these museums. There's so many museums and so many things to see that I could just go to them over and over again. And oh, I would love it. I would love to live in Paris, actually, and just be able to do that as a thing because a lot of the museums, if you don't know that, are free in Paris. So if you're a citizen, you can just, let's say you're on a lunch break, right? Or you have like three hours to kill. You can just go in a museum for free, walk around, check things out and like spend your day there even if you want, if you're so bold to spend a whole day in a museum. And then you can just do whatever afterwards. I think that's a very fun little thing about Paris. Cool if you're a citizen there. After Paris, oh, Asia, that's when we went to Asia. And my lord, Seoul. Seoul is the LA of Asia. All the pop culture, just as it does in Los Angeles to the rest of the United States, all the pop culture comes out of Seoul for the rest of Asia. I thought Seoul was really interesting because the amount of emphasis they put on beauty and the vanity there... It's very much like LA in that sense too, but I think it's almost worse because it seems like if you want to be in the entertainment industry in Seoul, basically expect to get plastic surgery, some type of plastic surgery. It almost feels like there's way more plastic surgery in Seoul and in that like entertainment industry there in Korea than there is in the US with Hollywood. And there's this obsession, it seems like, with looking more western that's the vibe i got while being there whether that was talking to people i met or just learning about the culture in general there's a lot of nose jobs and there's these surgeries to get your eyes to look more western and that i saw a ton of you'd see these girls walking around with eye patches on like one over one eye patch on one eye and it's because they were getting that eye surgery and the surgery it's not just like this plastic surgery it's not just girls it's girls and guys the music groups and the actors and actresses a lot of them have surgery and it's not like you can necessarily see it if you're not really looking for it and it doesn't look bad by any means like they're very good at surgery there which is crazy because you wouldn't expect that like they're really good with plastic surgery there but yes it's a lot of nose jobs getting your eyes. I don't know what the the specific surgery is called for the eyes, but that's a big one. And then they're obsessed with widening their skin. There's a lot of products. I've, I found this too in Japan. There's a lot of products with widening ingredients in them to make your skin lighter. So that's a thing. And just everything I saw in these other countries, right? When I would meet people from either Korea or Japan, wherever it may be, China was another one. The amount of time they put into their makeup and then the emphasis they put, and I remember even Budapest, and there's these two Korean girls staying in my room. And I could just, every single day when I get up, they'd all, you know, they'd be in their beds and they'd have their mirror and they'd be putting all these products on. And then just a lot of the things I learned too, even about there's these forums like Asian Beauty and is a forum on Reddit, for example where it's just all about the Asian beauty products and then Asian beauty products are 
very well known to be like great products, especially in Japan, like same thing, Western medicine, Eastern medicine, right? It's the same idea with products of like the Western products versus like the Asian products and how Asia uses more of these weird ingredients, but they're also very well known for their great products, specifically like Japan. So I found that all really fascinating being in Seoul and actually seeing it firsthand how much emphasis they place on appearance. Definitely, definitely different. You you are signing a pact with the devil, it almost seems like if you want to be in the entertainment industry in Seoul, because the amount of work that goes into it, the the amount of hours you have to put in, the practice, the traveling, and then like literally changing your appearance essentially. If you if you were to look this up, some of these like transformations, right, of these people, these before and afters of of surgery it it's crazy and so yes if you want to get a nose job and you're not in california maybe you don't want to go to beverly hills maybe beverly hills isn't even that great for plastic surgery maybe i just expect that because i see all these plastic surgery shows on tv you know back home but yes think about soul maybe for plastic surgery if you are in the market for that after Seoul, Bangkok. Bangkok challenging. Oh, Bangkok was actually one of the first places I wanted to visit. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but my original, like the very first plan I ever had for traveling was actually to live in Bangkok for a year or so because I really loved Thai food and I was curious about the culture and then I really wanted to train in Muay Thai. Ended up staying in Bangkok a month and a half. That was definitely way too long for me. Bangkok was insanely difficult. And I think Bangkok is a great example for me because a lot of people, when they're traveling, generally you're a tourist, right? So you're only in a place for a little bit of time. And so Bangkok seems to be a place a lot of people love. Thailand in general, a place a lot of people love. Bangkok for me was a place where I finally got a good understanding of the difference between being a tourist and being a traveler and then also living in a place versus just visiting a place. When you're a tourist, you're in a place for X amount of days, right? So you're not really getting a full experience of what a place is actually like. You're just getting that little initial surface level, right? So a place could seem amazing to you, right? And a lot of people love Thailand, but after living in Bangkok for a month and a half, like I really did not like it. The things that you just have to deal with there it's unbelievable. And I I got experiences that you wouldn't get normally because you see all these tourists in Bangkok, right? And they're staying in probably hotels and they're staying in the city center where it's nice. And they're, you know, riding these tuk-tuks and seeing the sights and then eating Thai food and whatever. But when you live there, I was living on the outskirts of the city center in the actual heart of Bangkok where you'd see it really run down and you see the amount of poverty Maybe you won't see it if you're visiting as a tourist, but these neighborhoods I'd stay in and the actual apartment complexes I'd stay in were very nice, right? That was something that I found interesting about Bangkok in general was that there's handfuls upon handfuls of really, really nice places to stay, especially on Airbnb for cheap. It's a cheap place. It's great. But everything outside of those apartment complexes, it's generally not the best of areas. So you're not getting a lot of great restaurants or at least restaurants with a lot of reviews, right? You're getting more of just the the Thai food stands and the places that you can't really research to know if it's like good or if it's safe to eat. So that was difficult on the one hand. And then 
traveling around in Bangkok is so freaking difficult. I didn't think I would ever find a place with the worst traffic than LA because LA traffic is bad. And if you live there, you know it's bad. But the traffic in freaking Bangkok is by far the worst traffic I've ever seen in my life. The last two weeks of my time in Bangkok, I stayed in a place where literally like outside the apartment complex and to that main street that you'd go to, literally 24 hours a day traffic, not even, you know, just congestion, actual like stop and go traffic because of all the different construction that's going on. And so to actually just get to a place and then to actually come back it was such a freaking struggle that I didn't even go outside most of the time. I'd go to Muay Thai, but that was really it. Then I just come home and do nothing all day because it was just such a freaking effort. Like I remember one night I went to one of the the malls, the M Courtier Mall, which is one of the probably nicest malls I've ever been to. Be, to be honest, I will give I will give Bangkok props for that mall because it is pretty spectacular. But I went to go to the bookstore to get some new books. And just to eat and have a, you know, a day out. And so to come back to my apartment that I was staying in, it took me five hours to get back. And granted, I did walk most of the way, but it was like, okay, waiting for the bus and the bus didn't come apparently. And so I waited an hour for that, didn't come. Then go to a Denver bus stop. But there's such bad traffic in that area that the buses take forever to come. And so you don't know if... The bus is just running late and it's going to come or if there's no bus that's going to come because maybe it's not running in these specific hours, right? There's these things you have to get used to with the transportation and how it works. And even if you do get on the bus, because the traffic is so bad, there's just absolutely no way of really going fast. And it's not just the one main street, it's all the streets at night. So you technically don't even want to go outside. And then the weather, awful, awful weather. It's humid as crap. And granted, I I do get some some responsibility for that because I did go during the worst time in the year to go to Bangkok, the most humid it could possibly be, and then it rains as well. So you get the the lightning and the rains, but at the same time you're sweating and dying, and then you have to walk, and it's dirty and gross, and you, there's just trash everywhere, and you see you won't see this if you're a tourist, okay? But if you're if you're living there for a little bit and you're on the outskirts, there's stray dogs everywhere. And what you'll see as well, which I thought was so sad, you'll see stray dogs that are pregnant, okay? And I've never seen a pregnant dog before, but they're walking around and they just look so freaking beaten down and just sad and they're like pregnant and they're laying on the streets. And then there's always that worry of walking by a dog, is it going to try and attack me? And there were times where I'd walk by and like I'd have a dog start barking at me and literally following me as I walk and I have to like be kind of on guard like is this dog going to try and bite me? And then worrying about rabies because I didn't get rabies shots because they're extremely expensive. For anyone that didn't know, there I think rabies shots specifically, it's three different vaccinations you have to get, and they're really expensive. So the good news about rabies is that if you do get bit and you get rabies, you do have time before you die. So you can get the rabies shot then. You don't need to pre-vaccinate pre, uh, yourself with the rabies vaccination. But that was just a worry, you know, when you'd like walk by and you see, and then you see rats everywhere on the street, you see like stray cats and worrying about can I eat something and am I going to get sick or food poisoning and then like worrying about drinking the water and making sure water doesn't get in your mouth when you're showering or when you brush your teeth and obviously you know it might sound a little bit extreme with the water and the food and everything but 
everyone's going to have their varying degrees to what they're comfortable with for whether or not they're always going to be worrying about getting food poisoning. So you just got to take your precautions and I'm more of a cautious person. So maybe nothing ever would have happened, but yes, I didn't brush my teeth with any of the water. I used bottled water, made sure, you know, water when you're showering doesn't, and no water gets in your mouth. And then also worrying about food. One thing I think I found to not be helpful was every single thing I read about Bangkok, and maybe if you've been to Bangkok yourself, maybe this is also your experience, but everywhere says, oh, eat the street food, eat at the food stalls. It's a lot safer. You just have to look for food stalls where you see the locals eating and you'll be fine. And I think that's the stupidest advice ever, just based on my experience, because for one, I ate at restaurants and I will always trust restaurants more than a food stall. Maybe the food stall is fine, right? But I'll always trust restaurants more because of this. They have so much more incentive to do things right. And I'm not saying they're going to do things right necessarily, but there's more of either an incentive or on the flip side, there's more of a punishment for them doing things wrong. When you're a food stall or a food stand, you don't really have to worry about reviews on a website, for example, like a Yelp or a Google reviews, there's none of that. So you don't really know. And then you're not dealing with so many people eating there to where maybe like all these people are going to get sick, right? And they're going to like find out about each other. And then this food stand's going to get shut down or whatever. I don't know. But it just seeing what how they operated, I'd see them washing things with dirty water, like during the day, just walking around. And once again, this is me being a a person staying in the place for a month and a half, seeing things you might not necessarily see if you're just a tourist, but the things they'd clean the water with and just the environment it was in, and then literally seeing all these rats all the time, always walking on the sidewalks. I saw one night, one of the rats freaking scurry into one of the restaurants because it was still open. Like it was, it was closed, right? But they had no barrier to put down to like block off the inside of the restaurant from the outside sidewalk so i saw rat just running around in there and then you see like chickens sometimes live chickens and like feathers flowing around in the water and then like again the things they're they're washing it in dirty water and regardless of that they're washing it with the water of thailand which is not drinkable And you got to think for the actual people living there, maybe it's okay because they're so used to eating these types of foods, like these spicy foods, for example, right? And then also they're so used to the water that them growing up there, they develop a tolerance to where it's not going to affect them or really have maybe any negative effect on their health. But when you're someone from a different country entirely And then you're expecting to maybe eat from a food stand because you see all the locals eating it and you think it's safe. Well, maybe that's necessarily still not safe for you. It's just safe for them. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just where my head goes. And I can tell you from everywhere that I ate, I 100% felt safe eating there because I was able to pinpoint places that I knew would be good because they had a lot of reviews and they were really popular restaurants. And I I felt normal. Like I felt like it was just a restaurant from any other country where you wouldn't have to worry about like getting food poisoning. And the only time I ate a, a questionable place, and this was the place that's one of the most freaking popular places in Bangkok for Pad Thai. It had a huge line. There's thousands and thousands and thousands reviews of this place. It's near the 
Palace, actually. The only time I ate at one of these places, it was a place where they'd cook outside on the sidewalk and then you had like your inside seating, but it was kind of a cross between like a food stand type restaurant. I don't even know how to really describe it, but they cooked all the food on the sidewalk and then they had all the seats on the inside of the building. It wasn't like there was a kitchen inside the actual restaurant it's just like a big open space it's not like there's doors or walls or anything in the front it's just a big open space and you walk through and there's your seats and so this place is popular for pad thai right and so i had the pad thai not saying anyone's gonna get sick if you go there maybe you'll be fine but the only time i got food poisoning was when i went there and literally 30 minutes after eating it i was hit with the runs I don't know how I made it back. There's a nice story about that in the Bangkok travel guide, I believe. Go listen to that. But it was an absolute struggle trying to hold it in all the way home, man. And I made it, thank God. But I've never been that close to actually taking a number two in my pants. So bear that in mind. Do what you want. Like I said, whatever you're comfortable with when you go to a place, people are going to have differing levels of what they're comfortable with doing when they're in a place where there's risk of whether that's food poisoning, water, m- malaria isn't really a huge thing anymore in in Bangkok, but if you go to like the jungles of Thailand, then that could be a potential issue with malaria with the mosquitoes. I personally didn't get malaria pills or a Japanese encephalitis shot. I don't think I got that. And that's something you have to worry about with mosquitoes too. Didn't see any mosquitoes, so it was fine. That's another thing. You know, there's just all these things. So just, like I said, do what's comfortable for you. But yes, Bangkok overall was just a struggle. I really enjoyed doing the Muay Thai. I got to do that for a month, four classes, one class a week. That was the highlight for me. Loved that. It was challenging. It was everything I thought it was going to be. I went to a legit Muay Thai school. It's not like I went to a tourist trap or anything like that. Loved that. I enjoyed the actual experience afterwards as far as Bangkok, like looking back on it. I'm glad for the experience because I think it it opened my eyes to more than any other country I've been to because it's not a third world country, but it's by far the most run down and like poverty stricken place I've ever been, Bangkok specifically, just the things you see. It really opened my eyes and it, once again, the weather's terrible, it's hot, there's stray dogs everywhere, there's rats, and these people just work their butts off and the amount of hours they work, I think this is the best perspective I could give, is that one of the nights where I was walking home, I saw people packing up on the street because you'll see a lot of street vendors, right? Well, they'll just have stuff laid out. I saw them all packing up all their stuff at 1.30 in the morning. So what I just pictured after seeing that was these people, they're probably waking up really early. They're putting out all their stuff. There's these street vendors. You got to work all day, probably just stay out there. You're not making much money by any means. And then you're in this heat and then you're out that late in 1.30 in the morning and then you have to clean everything up and you do it all over again every single day and that's your life just to make ends meet probably. Think in terms of the currency, think of the Thai bot, how much money compared to like the US, the value of that. So you're making like nothing. So I think if you're if you're from another country, the perspective of that, like how little you're actually working for because the value of your currency and the amount of effort you have to put in and just the things you have to deal with and they just do it every day and they, you know, they don't complain. They're all happy. They're smiley. They're nice. I think that's a really 
great perspective to have and it's a thing that makes me and i think it would make anyone it makes you grateful for what you have if you come from a place like the u.s even if you don't come from the nicest place because by no means is the u.s nice everywhere right everywhere you go there's going to be the nice areas there's going to be the bad areas just like in bangkok there's a lot of bad areas but there's a lot of nice areas too like the m quartier that whole area over there that mall is amazing and like going inside of it the restaurants they have and the shopping and the, the high-end brands right they have everything and they so there's always going to be pockets of good and bad in places you go so yes that is bangkok kyoto we'll say next really fast what i think of kyoto i just think instagram because normally when you think of japan i personally think tokyo i don't know if other people do but when you go on instagram all you ever see in terms of Japan is people in Kyoto freaking with these photos. They all have, it's all the same photos, right? The bamboo forest, the uh, the orange uh, guardian gates at the one of the shrines. These are the common photos you'll see. And so I just associate Kyoto with Instagram because that's what like, everyone goes to do. I did it myself, you know, got all the, got all the Instagram worthy photos at the, the bamboo forest and all that stuff. I think hands down Tokyo is way better than Kyoto. Kyoto does have more of a small city vibe to it, but it is it is still a pretty big city. But Tokyo, man, Tokyo is my favorite city, I think, now overall. If I had to live anywhere else in the world, other than, we'll say generally, like the US, right? If I had to live in other any other country in the world, it would be Japan, and specifically it would be Tokyo. There would be a lot of conditions that I'd have to have met <laughs> For me to live there obviously one being speaking japanese one other one that i know i'd have to do i'd have to be able to drive in tokyo because i could not do public transportation here every day for the rest of my life i literally would shoot myself that's another one where it's like really just be grateful if you can drive and you get to drive a car because in these places like tokyo new york i'm sure it's the same way you're surrounded by people. There's no room. It's busy. It's hectic. You don't get to sit. Imagine having a long day at work, right? And then you're standing, you're surrounded by people. Maybe it's the summertime and it's super hot. You're already sweating and then you get into the train and it's not like you get to cool down because you're surrounded by people. And it just, then all the other little small things that eat away at you in life, all the little like difficulties or whatever, maybe you're having a bad day. It's just like that like addition of having to be in a freaking train with all these people. That just really just, oh, it just gets to me, man. And is it the biggest deal in the world no but it is something for me personally if i was to live in tokyo not not doing that train thing and that bus lifestyle f for uh forever so would have to have a car but tokyo it's just a one-of-a-kind place the culture is amazing i said this before but i think going into this trip i felt like japanese culture would be more in line with how i am whether that's like my beliefs or my personality i just felt like I would really relate to their culture and the Japanese just do it differently than anywhere else in the world, whether it's the efficiency of their transportation or the efficiency of how things are done or the layouts of their cities, the respect they have, the people you meet when that's, whether that's just people you'll meet and maybe become friends with or the workers at restaurants or the people at stores when you're buying things, they're also respectful and nice. And there's plenty of nice people everywhere in all these countries I've been to, right? Like Romanian people, very nice. Italians, very nice. The Scottish people, very nice. But there's like a whole different level of respect that 
is shown in in Japanese culture from my experience here in Tokyo, which I really like. And then the amount of pride they take, which can clearly be seen in the way the cities are laid out. Like I said, the way they're built, the efficiency, the cleanliness. Tokyo is by far the cleanest city I've ever been to. There's very few areas where you'll see trash on the streets or really run down broken streets where there's potholes or just sidewalks that are cracked. Even in the tourist areas, you're it's pretty clean. Like you will see trash on the ground here and there. And I even caught one guy one time, man, I saw this Japanese guy. He just left a bottle on the, the ground because he couldn't throw it away anywhere. So I was like, oh, wow. That just, that was just, it was like almost like blasphemous, right? Because you wouldn't expect that from the Japanese based on what I'd seen. But there are people that, you know, aren't as respectful. But yes, overall, it's a very clean place. And that is one thing I will knock too. This was the same in Korea. There's so few public trash cans that if you are carrying around a bottle, for example, a bottle of water and you finish it, it's really hard to find a trash can unless you're in the train station. That's where you're going to be able to find one. But it's such a pain in the butt. Like you will not see them on the sidewalks anywhere. And it it almost seems like it's a, like it doesn't make sense that the place is clean even though they don't have trash cans everywhere because you would think, right? If they don't have trash cans, people will just litter everywhere because, oh, where are we going to throw our trash? But that doesn't seem to be the case. And like a place like Los Angeles, there's trash cans everywhere you go. They're in parks, they're on sidewalks. They're literally everywhere, but there's tons of trash you know wherever you go so maybe that's just a cultural thing with like respecting your surroundings i don't know maybe it does has nothing to do with the fact that there's no trash cans in tokyo really but that is one thing being used to having a trash can pretty much everywhere that was one thing that was annoying because you know i carry on my big water bottles so yes that was a pain but the food as well tokyo best cuisine if you could only eat one cuisine, this is another one for me. If I could only eat one cuisine for the rest of my life, I could only choose one. It would be Japanese food. The amount of variety you get, the quality, delicious. There's something for every day of the week. Barbecue, yakitori, which is skewered chicken, ramen, gyozas, tonkatsu, fried pork with rice, soba noodles, udon noodles, sushi, nigiri sushi. There is so much and it's all amazing. I think the only two things that I didn't try, maybe I'll get to try them in the next two days. I might try and do that. Unagi was one of them. That's eel. And I did have eel rolls from Tokyo Station. Those were to die for. I thought eel was going to taste bad because you, you see the eel fish, right? You look at that thing and you're like, oh, I don't want to eat that thing. That thing looks gross. Actually amazing tasting fish. So maybe I'll try unagi and then I haven't had yakitori yet that I might try and get out of the way. And then the only other one, I think, they have this type of food. I don't know the Japanese name for it, but it's a pancake essentially. And you'll put a whole bunch of stuff in it and it's like an egg on the outer layer. It's almost, think of like an omelet, but it's a, it's literally like a pancake shape. And then they'll put like mayo, maybe wasabi mayo or something like that on top of it, all over it. That's the one thing where I've kind of been like, eh, I don't know if I'd like that. So I haven't had that. Mm, probably not going to try that, honestly. So that is every country and all the cities I have been to. Wow. Like I said, I'm going to do episodes on everything. I'm really going to get into the nitty gritty of it. I'll do an episode on what I learned from traveling. 
mistakes made, whether that was mistakes with trying to build my social media, that will be an episode, mistakes in packing, mistakes in planning, because I will say there are have been a lot of mistakes packing and planning. One thing that's come out of this trip for me that I think is absolutely amazing is just how important it is for me now to not have a lot of stuff because I definitely overpacked going into London and even going home for two weeks before I went to Asia, overpacked again for Asia. And now I'm absolutely positive that going forward, if I ever travel again, which is the plan, I will not overpack. And I even plan on just completely changing the way I do things. The minimalist lifestyle is definitely where I'm heading, I think. I cannot wait to go home. The first thing I'm gonna do when I go home is get rid of literally everything I don't need because I think traveling, what it's done for me is it's really shown me just how much things you might have that you don't really use. It's very apparent when you're traveling, right? Because you're traveling with so little, but at the same time, you're very much aware of the things you're using and the things you're not. So it's really shown me that a lot of the things that I've had, I haven't really needed, and I can definitely go without a lot of things. And so I want to apply that to my life back home, basically. So my whole wardrobe, that's going out the window. The amount of things that I don't wear or things that are old that I still wear, oh man, it's going to be great. I'm going to have like nothing left. I can't wait. This is... Like I said, this is literally the thing I'm most excited for right now. Not even the food back in LA, not being home, not any of that. I'm excited to go home and get rid of everything to where I am going to have nothing. Getting rid of shoes, getting rid of clothes, getting rid of little stupid things I don't need. I'm going to just live the minimalist lifestyle because one thing I've realized with traveling and just trying to build social media, trying to be productive, whatever it may be, the one thing I've realized is how much emphasis is always placed on adding things and there really is never emphasis put on removing things from your life and i think that is the secret to success and like a less stress-free lifestyle is always removing things and that's one thing i've even been doing lately like yesterday I'm constantly deleting photos that maybe I don't need that are stupid. You know, when you take an Instagram photo, let's say you take it like 20 times, do you keep it on your phone even though you already posted the one photo? Like I have so many freaking photos and then like deleting apps and just all these different things. So it's always good to check with yourself, whether that's on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. I think it's important to check with yourself to evaluate things that you're not really using so that you can eliminate them from your life. For example, let's... Let's do a little experiment here. So I was never one to take photos growing up. I don't have many memories from like high school or college, really many photos. And I think that was one thing that always bothered me was like, I didn't take photos, right? I didn't have these things to look back on. And it wasn't something I was intentionally trying to do with traveling was to get all these photos right and all these memories. But from traveling, I was probably someone, like I said, pre, let's say like, end of college, right after graduating, we'll say 22 years old, I, I probably had a few hundred photos on my phone. And now after traveling, I have 17,000 photos. So <laughs> kind of cool, right? Because I have a bunch of experiences now to look back on. But at the same time, I don't know how I'm ever going to get that down to a decent number because that's way too many photos. I clearly don't need all of those. I have 2,800 videos as well. 
496 selfies. Never thought I'd be the one to say that. Not a selfie person by any means, but you know what? I guess that is a lot of selfies, right? So that I think is going to be the end of the episode. I didn't actually tell any stories. This episode went way longer than I thought. So I will tell stories at one point. I hope everyone has a wonderful new year. Hope everyone had a great Christmas. I guess I should say really fast now that I think about it. My Christmas was weird here because... Christmas isn't celebrated in Japan because most of Japan is Buddhist. So it's just kind of a thing that is a, it's a thing, right? But it's not really a thing. And so going out on Christmas, everything's open. All the restaurants, you see people out and about. There are Christmas lights and things around the cities, but it just didn't feel like Christmas. I think that's the reason why. This was my first Christmas ever in my life being away from home. So it was a weird Christmas. It was it was good. It was a nice one, but it didn't feel like Christmas. It was weird. So looking forward to hopefully next year getting back to in the Christmas spirit and having a good Christmas. Hope everyone had a good one though themselves. Maybe we'll have to talk about New Year's resolutions. I personally don't believe in them because I think most people don't stick to them. I find the gym is the best example of New Year's resolutions because the amount of influx you'll see in the gym of people starting to work out, right? It's the worst time of the year to freaking go to the gym because it's a pain in the butt to get your squat racks or your bench press, whatever it may be. And then literally within a month or two, the gym is back to normal and everyone's given up on the resolution. So maybe that'll have to be an episode then next week about New Year's resolutions or something like that. Maybe I'll think of some for the next week, some things, some goals we'll say for the new year. Now that I'm going to be reflecting on this past 10 months and going forward, because once again, this podcast, this is about the journey to becoming successful at content creation, hopefully is the goal. Hope everyone has a great new year. That's it for me. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That would be wonderful. Hancock at gmail.com. Once again, Hancock is my Instagram. If you have any questions, let me know. More to come this next year. Excited for being back home and seeing what I can make happen. See you guys next week.